Well, it's so good to see all of you. My name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you brought your Bibles here today, Romans chapter 16 is where we're going to find ourselves today. Romans chapter 16 is where we are. And uh, as you find your place there, you know, let me just ask in all seriousness, in light of what we just saw, don't, don't you love coming to church sometimes, brothers and sisters? Don't you just love coming to church? I was, yeah, you know, as I was watching him rehearse earlier, I was thinking, where else but the church? Do you get to see kids do something like that, right? That is just so incredible. That's why I love our times together. That's why I love the church. And if I can say it, you know, with all that is going on in our world right now, and this past week we saw a lot going on in our world this past week, right? With all that is going on in our world right now, this is why we need the church. And this is why we need our times together. And in fact, that leads very nicely into what we're going to be talking about here today. So today, I get the opportunity, for those of you who are visitors, we've been in a series uh, over the last several weeks called Transformed. And this series is a series where we have been taking a look at the last few chapters of the book of Romans. And today, I get the privilege of closing out this series, Transformed, that we have been in. And I kind of feel compelled to warn you up front here that I have a little bit of a monumental task in front of me. And that is because I have been given the entire chapter 16 of Romans to cover in just one message here today, okay? So we have a lot that we have in store for us here today. But I want to let you know, I have been looking forward to teaching this particular message for a while. And the reason why is because our text for today, it gives me an opportunity to talk about what is truly one of my favorite things in the church to talk about. And that's because it gives me an opportunity to talk about the church. And it gives me an opportunity to talk about God's design for His church. You know, as I was working on this message this past week, it, it struck me, you know, life is, is filled with a lot of decisions, isn't it? In fact, every single day we make dozens, if not hundreds, of decisions over the course of our waking hours. Now, most of the decisions that we make in this life, they end up being fairly inconsequential, right? Decisions like what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat in the morning, whether we're going to take this exit or that exit off the freeway. Most of the decisions that we make in this life, they end up being fairly inconsequential, but there are a few decisions that we make that end up being really important. In fact, there are a few decisions that we make in this life that really end up setting the direction of, of large portions of our life. And in fact, most every single one of us here in this room, we have all made a decision that I think is a lot more important than we might think. And what decision is that? Well, that is the decision of what church to be a part of. That's the decision of what church we want to anchor ourselves in during the various seasons in our life. In fact, one of the pastors that I listen to, John MacArthur, he makes the observation that it's his belief that next to our decision to follow after Jesus, the most important decision that we will make in this life is the decision of what church to attend. And I think there's something to be said about that. Because next to our decision to follow Jesus, there is no decision that impacts more how we live out our faith. There's no decision that impacts more the, 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 the way that we live for Jesus here on this earth than the decision of what church we want to be a part of. Next to our decision to follow Jesus, I really do think that one of the most important decisions that we will make in this life is what decision of what church we want to anchor ourselves in. But this is also where there is a lot of discernment that is needed, especially in our day and age. You know, I'm sure many of you have seen the statistics. In fact, there was a study that was released just this past week that confirmed it. But the statistics tell us that fewer people than ever in America these days want to identify as a part of any religion, including Christianity. 
In fact, I don't know if you know this, but with the exception of the COVID years, there will be a fewer percentage of Americans than ever before gathered together in a church service on this Palm Sunday weekend. We are living in a very interesting time for Christianity in America. We are living in a very interesting time for the church in America. And because of that, there is a temptation that we might have to to panic. To think that in order to attract more people as God's church, we need to start looking to the world out there in order to to take our cues for how to be church. That in order to be more quote-unquote relevant, we need to look to the entertainment realm or to the sports realm or to the business world in order to determine how we gather together as God's people. And that is definitely one route that some churches take. But in my opinion... I don't think that is the way to go. You know, one of the things that the, the, the Bible teaches us, brothers and sisters, is the world out there, it is literally falling apart. This is what the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, when at the very end of the sermon that actually started the church, Paul says this, he's, or Peter says this, he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, Peter says. And believe it or not, I actually spoke on that particular verse my very first weekend as a teaching pastor here at Friends Church almost 11 years ago. And as I explained in that particular message, and I know all of you remember this because you remember everything that I said, but just to refresh your memory here. As I explained in that first message, the Greek word translated crooked there is the Greek word from which we get our English word scoliosis. The Greek word is scolios. And that word literally means to be falling apart. And so what Peter is saying here is he's saying, hey, the world out there, it's falling apart. The world out there, it's collapsing before our eyes. But by implication, what Peter is saying here is he's saying, we who have put our faith in Jesus, we who have decided to follow after Jesus, you know who we are? We are the people that God is putting back together. We are the people that God is rebuilding. And so since we are the people that God is rebuilding as God's church, and since the world out there is falling apart, why in the world would we ever want to look to the world out there to determine how we do this thing called church? I mean, looking to the world out there to determine how we do this thing called church, it makes about as much sense as you all looking to me for fashion advice, okay? I mean, let's be honest, you're not going to hurt my feelings. No one would ever look to me for fashion advice. I mean, I have one pair of jeans that I wear every single day. Don't worry, I wash them. But this is all I got, okay? And in the same way, you would never want to look to me for fashion advice. We never want to look to the world out there and how to gather together as God's people. And so if we're not to look to the world out there, where are we supposed to look? Well, the answer is clear, right? We look to God's Word. We look to the Bible. And those of you who have known me, you know that this is one of my passions in this life. I don't want to be a part of a church that is shaped by the world, brothers and sisters. I want to be a part of a church that is shaped by God's word. Because that's when the spirit is unleashed to do what it is that he wants to do. Well, that's exactly what our text today gives us a picture of. So as Paul draws this book of Romans to a close, he gives us in Romans chapter 16 something that we get a a glimpse of a few times in the Bible. And that is in some very interesting ways, and I'll explain it in a moment, but in some very interesting ways, Paul gives us a peek into the, the operations of the early church. 
In fact, in the 27 verses of Romans chapter 16, we get what I believe is one of the best pictures we get in our Bible, and again, in some surprising ways, but we get one of the best pictures that we get in our Bible of what the early church was about, what they focused on, what it was that they found important. And since I believe the mission of the church has not changed men and women, then what that means is what we get from Romans chapter 16 is we get some instruction, we get some direction for us as God's church today. So you know what I'm going to do here over the next several minutes? I'm actually going to give an updated version of the very first message I gave in this church 11 years ago. And in the very first message in this church I gave 11 years ago, I gave some principles for what a biblically grounded church looks like. And today I'm going to give you some updated principles taken here from Romans chapter 16, okay? There are three principles that I have time to give you here today. Actually, there are two principles I have time to give you here today, but I'm going to give you three anyway, okay? And they're going to unfold one at a time throughout this message. You can write them down if you want. The first principle is this. God designed his church to be a place that displays dynamic diversity. God has designed his church to be a place that displays dynamic diversity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. You know, Romans chapter 16, it's one of those sneaky passages in our Bible. And what I mean by that is, on its surface, it looks to be very underwhelming. In fact, if you have your Bibles open in front of you right now, and if you look at the first half of Romans, you'll be able to tell almost immediately why. It's because the first half of Romans 16, it's, it's nothing but a bunch of names. You see, what Paul does in the first 15 verses of Romans 16 is he lists the names of 24 people that he knows personally in this church in Rome that he's writing to that he wants to say hi to through this letter. And most of these names we know hardly anything about. This is the only time that they are mentioned in our Bible. And so because of that, we may be tempted just to sort of skip over them, to say this is a passage that doesn't have any relevancy for us and move on. But you know what? This is one of those places, like a lot of places in the Bible, this is one of those places where there's more going on here than meets the eye. See, I don't know if you know this, but in the first century, names had a lot of meaning. Parents didn't name their children the way we do today. They didn't just pick names that sounded good. No, they picked names that had meaning. And often from the first name of a person alone, you could tell something about their social status. You could tell something about their family background. And you can tell something about their country of origin. And so there are experts in this sort of thing. And what they have done is they have studied these 24 names here in Romans chapter 16. And from that, they've got a picture of the, early, of the people who made up the early church. And you know what has stood out the most to scholars? It's just how diverse the early church really was. It's very clear from the names that are listed here that the early church was a veritable mixing pot, melting pot rather, of different types of people. Let me illustrate what I mean, okay? So for example, one of the things that stood out to scholars who have studied these names is they've noticed both a mix of men and women. Of these 24 names, there are probably about nine names that represent female names, and there are 15 names that represent male names. And so there were both men and women who gathered together in this early church. Now, I know that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us here today. But you have to understand that in the first century, men and women, they didn't gather together all that often. In fact, often clubs and other social organizations, which is what the Christian faith would have looked like to other people at this time, that men would gather in one place and women would gather in another place, even in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish temple. There were certain places where only men could gather. There were places that women were not allowed. Men and women were often separated in the first century. Well, one of the things that we learn from the Bible is that was not the case in the early church. 
In the early church, men and women, they gathered together, they existed together, they worshipped together. That almost never happened in the first century. And so that's one thing that has stood out to a lot of scholars about these names. But there's another thing as well. As they have studied these names, one of the other things that has stood out is that there's very clearly a mix of different ethnicities and different nationalities. It's very clear, for example, that probably about seven of these 24 names, they represent very clearly Jewish names. They're the, only the type of names that Jewish people would name their kids. The other 17 names, they represent either a Greek background or a Latin background. And so what that means is that in, the, in this early church, there was a mix of both Jews and Gentiles together. There were different ethnicities. And we've talked about over the last, that over the last couple of weeks and the tension that existed in this church because of that. But these different ethnicities, they existed side by side in this church. That was also unheard of. And then the other thing that has stood out to scholars who have studied these names is it's very clear that there's a mix of different levels of wealth. For example, it's very clear that there are some rich people who attended this church in Rome. You see that in verses 3, 4, and 5. In verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul addresses a couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. And some of you may be familiar with those names. They're a married couple. They're mentioned in the book of Acts. They were very prominent in the early church. And not only does he say hi to them, but in verse 5 it says this. He says, greet also the church that meets at their house. See that there? He says, greet also the church that meets at their house. Now, what's he talking about? Well, in the first century, they didn't have dedicated church buildings like we have today. Instead, churches would meet in homes. And Aquila and Priscilla, evidently, they opened up their home for a church to meet in. Now, understand, for a home in the first century to be big enough to house all or part of a church, guess what? It had to be a pretty big home, which means that, guess what? Someone had to be pretty wealthy. And so because of that, a lot of scholars believe that Priscilla and Aquila, they were pretty wealthy people in this church. And so rich people attended this church. But you know what? Poor people attended this church as well. And that's made very clear by the fact that it's, it's clear that there were slaves who were part of this first century community. Uh, that's clear by a phrase that Paul uses a couple of times. He uses this phrase. He wants the, the, the church to say hi to the household of a certain individual. And understand that phrase household of, it didn't refer to the members of one family. It referred to the people who worked for a person. And so Paul is saying hi to certain slaves who attended this church in the Roman community. And so in this particular church in Rome, men and women, you had both men and women. You had both Jews and Gentiles. You had both rich people and poor people. You had slaves and you had free people. It was a whole mix of people. And here's what I'm trying to get at in all of this, okay? Here's what I want you to realize. When this church met together on a Sunday morning, this was literally the only place in the world where all these different types of people would gather together. This was literally the only place in the world where men and women, Jews and Gentiles, rich people and poor people, slaves and free people, this is the only place in the world that they would be found under one roof. The early church was literally the most diverse community that ever existed at this time. They displayed dynamic diversity. And guess what? I think God wants his church to display the same thing today. A few years ago, I got asked an interesting question. Someone said to me, Pastor Chris, you've studied a lot of Paul's letters. And so I, I wonder, if, if Paul came to your Belinda today, and if he looked at the state of the church in your Belinda today, Pastor Chris, what do, you think, what do you think Paul would say? 
And I thought about this for a second, and my response was something like this. I said, you know, I really think that if Paul came to Yorba Linda today, and he looked at the state of the church, I said, I think Paul would be pretty sad. I think he would be pretty bummed out. In fact, I think Paul might even say something like this. He would say, why have you divided what Christ died to unite? You see, I think if Paul came to, the, to Yorba Linda today and he studied the state of the church, he would spend time looking at all the churches that are within a two-mile radius. And there's a ton of churches within a two-mile radius. And it would become very clear to him very quickly that a lot of these churches are, are divided uh, according to a lot of different ways. In fact, it would become clear to him that some of these churches are divided according to ethnicities, right? We have predominantly African-American churches and predominantly Asian-American churches and predominantly white churches and so on. And I think Paul would look at all of that and then he'd call all of us pastors together. And he'd say, hey, I need you to help me to understand something. He says, according to what I've seen, it looks like you all worship the same God. It looks like you all believe in the same Jesus. You all speak the same language. You all believe that the Bible is the word of God. So, why are you doing what the rest of the world does? You're making the same divisions that the rest of the world makes. You're dividing along the same lines as the rest of the world. Why are you dividing what Christ died to unite? See, I don't know if you know this, men and women, but a church is a reflection of diversity, and here I mean diversity in a number of different ways, but a church's reflection of diversity, it's actually a powerful testimony to what we believe as Christians. You see, when we gather together in this one place, when we gather together under one roof, groups that wouldn't gather together out there, when we gather together in one place, groups that fight against each other out there, one of the things that we show by that is that we show that we really believe that the only blood that matters is the blood of Jesus. And we show by that that we really believe at the end of the day that we are all equally sinners. And we are all equally in need of the grace of God. That's what the early church showed the world. And that's what I believe God has called us to show the world as well. This past week I was reminded of a story involving Billy Graham. And I don't know if you know this, but during the 1960s, Billy Graham had a commitment that he would never do a crusade at a segregated stadium. Well, one day he showed up to a stadium in the south, and sure enough, it was segregated. There was literally a piece of tape that was separating two sections, one section only for white people to sit, the, only, the other section only for African-American people to sit. And so before the crusade, you know what Billy Graham did? He literally tore up this tape. He would not allow to be divided what Christ died to unite. And I think God wants us to be committed to the same thing today. Now obviously this is an area where a lot of churches have a long way to go. But you know what? Every single one of us, we have a part to play in this. I was thinking this past week, I'm guilty of this. Listen, most all my friends and acquaintances, they look like me. They dress a lot better than me, but they look like me. And they act like me. And I was thinking, I really do think that God would have me be intentional about reaching out to people who are different from me in a number of different ways. This is what I'm finding by the way that my kids' soccer fields and their baseball fields and so on are really good for. 
Because here I'm surrounded by people that I would never be surrounded by otherwise. And I get an opportunity, if I get out of my comfort zone, I get an opportunity to strike up a conversation with them. And I get an opportunity to, to have a spiritual conversation with them. And maybe even invite them to a church service. And, and may I remind you, men and women, that this is one of the best weeks in the entire year to do that. There are two weekends of the year when people are most open to coming to church. And we have one of those weekends next week in Easter. The other weekend, of course, is Christmas. And so I want to ask you, is there anybody in your life, maybe even an unexpected person, that God would have you ask to, to go to one of our Easter services next weekend? It doesn't matter if you don't think they would fit in. God calls us to be a church for everybody. We want to be a church for everybody. God designed his church to, to demonstrate, to display dynamic diversity. That's one of the things that we learn from this passage. But there's another thing that we learn as well. The second lesson is this. God has designed his church to be a place where every person has a part to play. God has designed his church to be a place where every person has a part to play. Another thing that has stood out to scholars about the names here is how involved the people that Paul writes to, how involved they were in the ministry of the church. It's, it's very clear, almost every person that Paul mentions, they had a role to play in this early church. I talked about Priscilla and Quilla, for example. They opened up their home for the early church to meet in. Uh, there's also a man by the name of Urbanus. Uh, Paul mentions him in verse 9. Paul calls him a co-worker in the Lord. He did some ministry in some way. But what has probably stood out to scholars the most is how prominent the women were in this church. It's very clear that the women had very significant roles in this early church. So for example, in verse 12, Paul mentions three women, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. And he says this about them. He says that they worked very hard in the Lord. And so they had some ministry in this church in the first century Roman Empire. Or look at this, verse 7. This is an extremely important verse. Paul says this. He says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. And so here Paul mentions two people, Andronicus, who is a man, and Junia, who is a woman. Junia was a woman's name. And most scholars believe that they were married. And look at what Paul calls them in verse 7. He calls them apostles. And not only does he call them apostles, he says that they were outstanding among the apostles. So here Paul is calling a woman by the name of Junia, he's calling her an apostle. Now understand that doesn't mean that Junia was on the same level that Paul was. There were only 12 real apostles, leaders of the early church. They were all men, they were all selected by God. But what that word apostle likely means there is it means a missionary. The, the Greek word apostle it literally means one who was sent. And so Junia was likely a missionary in the early church. And this makes sense. In the early church, in the early world, there were certain places where only women could go. And so in order to reach those women, they had to have other women who were called specifically to be missionaries to them. And evidently, Junia was one of them. But it becomes very clear as you read through this passage that the ministry in the church in Rome, it wasn't just in the hands of a few. Every person had a part to play. And that's what God wants for his churches today. I've shared this quote with you before. I love it. It's by Howard Hendricks. He once said this. He said, you know, the local church, it's a lot like a football game. He says, you have 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest, being watched by 40,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> and that's how some churches can be sometimes, right? 
When all the ministry of the church is just done by the paid professionals on the stage. But that's not how God wants it to be. I don't know if you know this, men and women. But in the Bible, every single person who has put their faith in Jesus, they are called a minister. All of us are called to do the ministry of the church. It's not just to be in the hands of a, of a few paid people. No, everybody has a role to play. Everybody is to be a part of the ministry of a church. That's why we at this church, that's why we emphasize so strongly getting involved and volunteering and so on. And by the way, you all are really good at this. In fact, we ran some numbers this past week and we found that probably anywhere from one third to one half of our church is involved in volunteering in our church in some capacity, which is just awesome. But I would love to see that number get to 100%. You know why? Because if that number gets to 100%, then that means Matthew and I can retire. And that sounds pretty good. Retired at the age of 41. I will take that. But God wants everybody to play a part in their church. And by the way, if you want to, but you've never done this before, I, I, got, a, I got a role for you, okay? And that's that this week you can be a part of our prayer team. Seriously. On Thursday of this week, there's going to be a group of us that meet at 7 p.m. in the pavilion. And we're going to be in the pavilion just for a couple of minutes, but really what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to spend over an hour spread out throughout this worship center, and we're going to pray over this physical space, and we're going to pray over our building, and we're going to pray for the weekend services this Easter. And anybody who wants to can be a part of that. All you have to do is have a heart for God. And so if you've maybe never attended this church apart from a weekend service, this week be a part of our prayer team. Show up Thursday at 7 p.m. in the pavilion. That's all you need to do. And that's a great first step to take. So God has designed the church to be a place where every person has a part to play. He's designed the church to be a place that demonstrates dynamic, dynamic diversity. And then there's one more lesson that we learn from this passage. And that is this. God has designed his church to be a place where people leave changed. God has designed his church to be a place where people leave changed. If you're following along in your Bibles, jump down to verse 25 here. Paul brings this great book of Romans to a close, and this is what he says. He says, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. And obviously we'll stop there. And listen, there's a ton going on in these three verses. I could do an entire message on just these three verses here. But for our purposes today, I want to draw your attention to one phrase. It's at the end of verse 26, where Paul says this. He says, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. And what Paul is talking about here is what we actually talked about a couple of weeks ago. And these Gentiles who were part of this church, who came from a pagan background that didn't value holiness. And so they were really rough around the edges. And what Paul says in this verse is he says, listen, first of all, we have to get these Gentiles to believe in Jesus. We have to get them to faith in Jesus. That's the most important thing. But then Paul says this, once we do that, that's only the starting point. Because there's something that has to come after that. And what is it? Paul says it here. It's obedience. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that these Gentiles, they need to be more and more like Christ. They need to take holiness more and more seriously. They need to obey God in ever-increasing ways. And that's obviously what God wants for you and me as well. I'm going to say something that's going to sound pretty bold to some of you. But it's biblical. It's true. And that is this. Listen, if you have been at this church longer, for, longer than six months... 
But if you're not growing, if you haven't seen a change in your life, then something is not right. Then something is wrong. Either Matthew and I, we're not doing our job, we're not properly teaching you the word of God, or maybe you're not doing your job. You're not showing up with open ears and open hearts to listen to what is said. If you've been coming to this church, but you are not changing, then something is not right. Because you see, God did not design his church, men and women, to be a parking structure. Where we park our car for an hour and then we return to it and it's no different than before. No, you know what we are? We are a body shop. We are an auto shop. We are here to get work done. And that work is accomplished through the power of God's spirit. And it's accomplished through the bold and unashamed preaching of the word of God. And those of you who know me, this, you know that this is one of my soapboxes. But I am so tired these days of people in my profession who shrink back from declaring the word of God. Who try to sugarcoat some of the difficult truths of scripture. We cannot do that. This is our playbook. This is our instruction manual. This is how we are changed in the Christian faith. And that's why as I've said before, you always need to keep Matthew and me accountable to make sure that we're always declaring God's word boldly and unashamedly. But you know what? you all have to be accountable as well. And that is that you need to be ready to show up every weekend, ready to hear and be engaged by and to be transformed by and to be confronted by and to be encouraged by the word of God. God wants his church to be a place where people are changed. God wants his church to be a place that demonstrates dynamic diversity. And God wants his church to be a place where every person has a part to play. That's what Romans chapter 16 teaches us. Now listen, the church is to be about more than just these three things as well, okay? Obviously God wants his church to do more than this three thing, these three things too. But you know what? A church can't do less than these three things. If we're going to be the type of church that God has called us to be, these are some of the things that we need to be about. And if we do that, you know who gets the credit? You know who gets the glory? Paul makes it clear at the end of this passage. It's God. It's Jesus. We exist, men and women, to, to make God famous. We exist to bring glory to Jesus. And I want to let you know something right now, okay? And that is, you all do that. You do. You know, I've been at a few churches in my life. But there is no community of people that I would rather serve than you. You are my brothers and sisters. I love the people of this church. I love you. I do. Now, is this church perfect? Absolutely not. And all God's people said, amen, right? It's not perfect. <laughs> but you all, you make it worth it. You do. And that's why my final encouragement to you today is this. Let's just keep doing what we're doing, okay? Let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let's make the pursuit of him our goal. Let's take our cues not from the world, but let's take our cues from his word. And let's be the church that God has called us to be because this is how we show the world that we are the people that God is putting back together. And more than ever right now, that is what our world needs. And that's why as we close here today, I, I thought the most appropriate way to close our time was to close just with a, a prayer over our church. 
So would you do me a favor right now? Would you, would you stand with me, please? And listen, in the pre-COVID era, I would have had you hold hands right now. But I know some of you are still freaked out by that, so I'm not going to do that. So instead, what I'm asking you to do is I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're holding hands right now, okay? And then what I want you to do is I want you to hold your hands in front of you just like this, just as a posture of receiving, just as a posture of, of, of being open to what God has for us. And let me pray right now just a prayer of blessing and protection over our church. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, for this church, Lord. God, I thank you for what it has meant to me personally um, over the last 11 years, Father. I know there are people who have come. I know there are people who have gone. But Father, um, at the heart of this church has always been the same thing. And that is just a love for you and a love for one another, God. There's no church I've ever been a part of that loves one another in the way that this church does, God. And I know that that's a, that's a witness, that's an example, that's a sign of how you are working in this community. And so God, I, I pray right now, Father, um, that you would, you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would enable us, God, just to continue doing what it is that we have been doing. Father, that we would never lose sight of, of your son, Jesus, that we would never lose sight of the goal that, that he is working us towards, that he is leading us towards, and that is to fall more and more in love with him until the day that we actually get to be with him, Father. And God, I pray against the enemy in any ways he would want to come in and cause dissension and anything else in this church, God. That's not what you want, Father. And so, God, I pray for your protection over this community, Lord. And I pray, God, that Friends Church here in your Belinda, I pray that it would be a light. It would be a light for Jesus to the world around us, God. I pray that when people look at us, they would see something different. And that is, they would see people that you are putting back together. And that would give us an opportunity, Lord, to be able to show the world uh, your son, Jesus. And to lead others in relationship with him, Father. God, as we saw these kids and as we will see them in this last song, worship here on this stage, Father. I think of ultimately at the end of the day, we're handing this world, we're handing this church over to them, God. And we want to make sure that we leave this church in better hands than in which we found it, Lord. And so God, would, would you remind us that we are doing this for the younger generation, Father. They're going to be the future leaders of this church, God. And I pray, Father, that we would give them a church that is stronger, that is more spirit-filled, that is more in love with Jesus than the church that we first came to, God. And we can do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. And ultimately, Father, we recognize that all of this is for your son, Jesus, Lord. He is the head of the church, not any individual. And he is the only one that is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of everything that we have to give him. And so, Father, I pray that we would never lose sight of your son, Jesus. That we would fix our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, God. And that everything that we do would point back to him. And so, Father, we love you and we thank you. And as we, as we engage now in this final song, God, I just pray that it would be just a hymn of praise to you. And it would honor your son who died for us and who lives again. And we ask this all in your son's name and all God's people said, amen.